reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 31 to 46, the sheep and the goats. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of, my bro of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal flame prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes? or sick, or in prison, and we did not help you. He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Thank you, Krista, very much indeed. So alongside the video that we've just seen, BMS World Mission offered a possible scripture passage for the sermon today to go with harvest. And uh, I thought, oh, that's nice. I'll have a look, see what it is. And I was okay until I had a look at the passage, and it was this one that Krista has read just now. Oh, dear. That's not a particularly easy story to interpret, I thought. But it is actually a very important one. So I won't shy away from the challenge. Uh, my records of previous preaching are a little bit haphazard, to say the least, but I have no recollection in my years of ministry of preaching from this story before. 
So it's new territory, uh, but I rather think that is to my shame because I certainly should have done more with this passage. It's one of the three stories in Matthew 25 about the end of time. The wise and foolish virgins comes at the beginning of Matthew 25 and then the master who entrusted his servants with wealth or the parable of the talents and then this story, the parable of the sheep and the goats. And they're all about how we should live in expectation here and now, knowing that the time is going to come when Jesus returns. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, that's how this parable begins. And all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. This will happen one day. All the nations of the world will gather before him. And before we go any further with this story, I want to pause there and ask, do you and I really believe this? That the world as we know it now, in which we live now, is not the final story. That the whole of Scripture is very clear that there is something very different and far more glorious yet to come. In the book of Revelation, 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. Parliament does not have the final say. The judiciary does not have the final say. Downing Street does not have the final say. God has the final say in this world. And this is foundational to our Christian faith. It is from that conviction that we live out every day, whatever we're thinking about, either in this country or in the wider world. And in the present time, we live with an eye to the future. We are a people of hope. And this is a very distinctive but vital perspective of all of our Christian thinking and living, that there is something yet to come when Jesus returns in power and glory and the world as we know it now will come to an end and something new will be there. That's good news. But then the story gets a bit harder. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him and he will sit on his glorious throne and all the, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Okay, that's not quite so easy. And this is what I find uncomfortable and disturbing that the God of love and mercy will separate some to the right and others to the left. To some he will say, come. To others he will say, depart from me. So what will happen to me? Am I a sheep or a goat? Will I go to the right or the left? Maybe there's something in here that will reassure me that everything will be okay. But the story gets even more challenging. That the basis of entry to the kingdom of heaven seems to be around what I have done to those who are hungry, thirsty, strangers, those who are without clothes, sick or in prison. What chance do I have? There will be some people I might have helped along the way, but so many who have passed me by. So much need that I have not answered. Is there any hope? Where do I stand before God? 
And if this was the only passage that I had from the Bible, then I could end up very disillusioned indeed. I would probably give up any attempt to follow Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't sound very inspiring for Harvest Sunday. But of course the great thing is that this is not all that we have. And that in the context of the big story of Scripture, this parable has a very important place and speaks in a very powerful and positive way. But it can only be understood in the context of the whole. And now it looks as if I forgot to animate this slide, so you've got all my points at once. Uh, so at least you know where we're going in the next few moments. And here it is. At first, God's grace reaches to everyone. That's where we have to start. We don't start there from this passage. We start there from the whole of the Bible. That God's grace reaches to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish but have everlasting life. For the wages of sin, writes Paul in Romans 6, is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And you'll remember the words from the day of Pentecost that we had just two or three weeks ago. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This is the big theme of the Bible. And this is the heart of the Christian gospel, that God's grace reaches out to everyone. None of us deserve to be in the right place with him because we've all done things that are wrong. And there is only one way that we can be brought into the kingdom of heaven, and that's not through what we earn or deserve but it is through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, and through our believing and trusting in him. Nothing else. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to your cross I cling. That is the big theme of the Bible, and that always stands above and beyond anything else that we might read. So God's grace reaches to everyone. Jesus loves everyone. He died for everyone. And he longs that every single person should come to that place of trusting in Jesus, knowing the forgiveness of your sins, and living a joyful, eternal life. And this story, I believe, was addressed to the disciples of Jesus. And so in one sense, we can assume that they already knew this. The reality was that it was spoken before Jesus actually died and rose again, so they may not have fully understood. But the heart of the gospel still stood as an umbrella over this story. And there is a sense in which we can assume that that message is here already. And the disciples did understand that Jesus had called them to follow him, and they were gladly doing that. And we can only interpret this story on the basis that it starts with those who already believe. And therefore, the key, story, key to this story is not about separating faith from works, but about creating faith that works. 
creating faith that works. Creating faith that prompts you to do something as a natural response to being a follower of Jesus Christ. James chapter 2 helps us a lot to understand this passage. James 2, 14 to 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by, accompanied by action, is dead. Gareth Wilde is a Baptist minister who's visited the Sudan refugee camps. And he says that in his first visit to South Sudan, he went to a pastor's conference of the Southern Sudan Baptist Convention for Bible teaching. Now, I can imagine something of what that would have been like as I've been part of similar events through Mercy Mission in India. And you go to these occasions and lots of pastors gather together and there's lots of speakings from the front, going through passage after passage, explaining, interpreting, applying the scriptures for many hours a day. And pastors in, in Africa, in India, in these kind of environments, soak it up and absolutely love it. But then Gareth went on to say that a year later, these South Sudan pastors became refugees themselves. And their energies were then turned into expressing their faith through practical love for the most vulnerable. They were now contributing to the safer pregnancies of mums using blood pressure monitors, providing food for the hungry, shelter for the internally displaced refugees, supported by those in northern Uganda where most of the refugees found shelter. And this was making faith work. This was creating faith that works, applying the story that Jesus told in a powerful way. And so that leads us to think about compassion which reaches to everyone. Because there's another difficult aspect to this story. Who are the people Jesus was calling his disciples to serve in this story? He speaks of the least of the brothers and sisters of mine. He mentions these six categories of need amongst those people. Those who are hungry and thirsty. Those who are without food and clothes and so on. But then he talks about the least of my brothers and sisters. So is this just a story about helping Christians who are in need? I don't think so. All the nations were gathered together at the beginning of the story. And all people are included in the focus of the story. It underlined Jesus' own special concern for the poor, the marginalized, and the outcast. It echoes his own manifesto in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And so in the light of the whole gospel and the whole of scripture, I believe that my faith today depends entirely upon God's grace. It's not what I can do that makes the slightest difference before God. It is only what God has already done and my confidence and my trust in Jesus. But I also hear a very strong challenge today to ensure that my faith works every day in living out the challenge of this parable, which I believe is a call to care for the whole world. And so I cannot sit by and let thousands of refugees struggle without the resources that they need in northern Uganda. And this particular project obviously uh, reaches to me particularly, as I think of uh, our daughter Sarah, who's in a different part of Uganda. And while we were with her last year, we traveled north. We were not that far from the refugee camp that is spoken about in this video. And yet to my shame last year, when I was in that northern region of Uganda, but in a very different environment. I was not connecting in my thoughts with those who had suffered so much in South Sudan and traveled not far from where we were geographically. And so I cannot sit by and let thousands of refugees struggle without the resources they need. And then recalling Andrew Simkin's talk last Sunday about Mercy Mission. I cannot sit by and let children remain unfed and uneducated in an area of India where Mercy Mission has a significant presence and an amazing opportunity to help. If you were not here last Sunday, Andrew was talking a little bit about the extension of Mercy Mission into the Mendungi Valley, which uh, although... The title is a valley, it's actually in a mountain region about two hours drive from uh, Visianagram where the main campus is. And, and how a whole new school has been built and how there's a whole new opportunity for bringing help and bringing education to children who are living in remote mountain villages who otherwise would have no access to that whatsoever. A number of people responded to what Andrew was saying last week. And if your response this morning is to connect with that particular project, to sponsor a child in Mercy Mission, or to bring some other support into Mercy Mission. We're just hearing in these next few days uh, confirmation of some more rice field being purchased in India. I can't guarantee that because I'm not actually up to date myself on where that project has got to, but it, is, uh, it sounds as if it is all set to go, to purchase some more land in addition to what we already have. So there's more need there as well. There's so much that is happening in Mercy Mission. There's so much that is happening amongst the Sudanese refugee, uh, South Sudan refugees in northern Uganda and indeed in other places. And quite a lot of the refugees from South Sudan have been displaced internally and are still in other parts of Sudan today. And I cannot sit by and let those who are homeless in Birmingham struggle on without the help and support from Crossroads and other uh, agencies. One of my most significant uh, student observations earlier this year in the role that I have occasionally of helping those who are training for Baptist ministry, I observed a minister in training who was in a night shelter in South End, uh, and she was overseeing an amazing project to provide food and beds 
for over 40 guests, all of whom would otherwise have slept rough that night. And what stayed with me from that experience was listening to how those guests spoke with deep appreciation for what was being done for them. And on the occasions when I've been in India, I've sensed also that immense appreciation which is known when people are receiving something of the help that we're able to give. God has indeed provided for us in abundance. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. But he calls us now to echo the heart of Jesus and the message of this parable and express our faith in practical action.